ก็นิดนึงชันดาชันดามีนส์ดีไซน์หรืออินเทรสต์ก็มีอะไรแบบคุณภาพใจหรือความพึงพอใจกับอะไรพึงสุขใจกับอะไร Being comfortable with something, perhaps, and it's uh, it's the first of the four idipada. If you want to succeed in something, you need chanda. You need to you need to want to do it, in some sense of the word. Not that you crave it, although if you crave something, you're much more likely to do it. But you can't really crave meditation, unfortunately. You can't crave to be mindful. It would be somewhat Counter, counterproductive. But you can be interested in it. You can be intent upon it. It's possible for you to want to do it. Be happy doing it. Be content doing it. Of course, you probably realize it's also possible to be very discontent and. Mm, Unsure about practice. Often we're more uh, discontent about the the concept of meditating, the, the the fact that I have to go and sit for an hour or walk for an hour. That it's not a fact. It's a an idea. And it's all in your mind, right? But we're that's how we live. We put ideas in our mind. We build pictures and. That becomes our. It, it feels like that's our reality, or we mistake that for a reality. It makes it hard to hard to do what needs to be done, because the picture easily becomes an object of discontent, displeasure, aversion, even. But um, what I wanted to talk about tonight was some of the ways we can put a positive picture in your mind. To, to practically speaking, we can fight. We can fight against or uh, work against the negative image we have of having to do an hour of. Walking meditation or sitting meditation, or having to stay here for another day or week or month or however long, having to having to live a simple life, having to be deprived of many things. We deprive you of food. We deprive you of entertainment, sex. Uh, we deprive you of sleep, even having to live like that. How do you paint a positive picture when you're so deprived? I think it should be clear that it's possible. I mean, a lot of 
what religion tries to do is evoke these religious feelings. That's maybe what the word religion means. Religion is something you're dedicated to. If it's your, your religion, it means it's the thing you're religious about, whatever that may be. It could be many things. So if we could be religious about mindfulness, it would mean we were quite attached to it, quite intent upon it, hopefully quite comfortable and keen on it. So the picture that we try to paint is of the importance of mindfulness, the importance of meditation, the importance of goodness, why it's important. And there are two ways, I guess, of doing that. One is talking about the benefits of it. Another is scaring the heck out of you about the detriments of not doing it. I realize that, as I think about it, that today is in the latter category. I don't have anything positive to tell you about mindfulness today. I'm just going to tell you all the negative stuff about being not mindful. How awful it is. Scare you. I got the carrot and the stick, so today is the stick. Which is unfortunate because I find we're often talking about negatives, right? So let's address, let's talk about that first. Why is Buddhism so negative? Why is it always talking about how bad everything is? I think there's two, I mean, there's many ways of talking about that, but two things I could say. The first is that there's not much you can say about good. There's not much because goodness, as it turns out, is not pleasure. Um, the good, what is good, what is valuable, is not a pleasant feeling. It's something beyond that. So you can talk about it. There are things you can say, like talking about peace even happiness, because it is happiness. It's just you have to be careful not to mistake the happiness for a pleasant feeling. The, the coolness, the, the calm, the quiet, the clarity and the wisdom, many good things you can say. But it's not, it, it's often in in relation to the, the negative. Right? We talk about freedom from suffering. True happiness is the absence of suffering, the absence of defilement. I mean, the absence of those mind states that cause suffering. So when you get rid of all the bad stuff, that's when, when you find peace. And so that's the other side of the coin is that it's really the bad stuff that we have to focus on. Why Buddhism focuses on negative is very similar to why a doctor focuses on, on sickness, on illness. So it's not meant to depress you or bum you, you know, bum you out. It's not meant to make you feel bad. It's meant to focus our attention on what's important. We shouldn't mistake that. Buddhism is not trying to be miserable and, and unpleasant by thinking about bad stuff. 
It's about an honest look at what's wrong, an honest um, affirmation that something is wrong in the first place, right? as opposed to living your life thinking everything's fine. And so th what I wanted to talk tonight, talk about tonight was five reflections that uh, I think may help to, hopefully they'll help to stir you up, stir up a feeling of uh, chanda, make you want to be mindful, give you reason to be mindful. Why am I here? Why am I doing this? To answer these questions. So these are five reflections that are the sort of thing anyone can and should reflect upon daily. And they give us a little bit of reminder of the sorts of reasons why we should strive our best to become mindful. They're quite simple, so this talk may not be a long one, but there are five things that the Buddha said we should remember, so these are the five things. Monks have ten things, actually. It's another list that's probably good for meditators, but start with five. The first one, Jarumhi, no, Jaradhammumhi, Jarang Anatito. I am of a nature to get old. It is my nature to get old, to age. I cannot escape aging. So let's go through them one by one. I won't, I'll go through them one by one. So the first one is aging, that aging is a part of life. So the, the idea here is that what we're doing is something much bigger than a hobby or a pastime or something, or, you know, something that you have to try once. It involves um, a bit of a philosophy, I guess. The reasons why we practice have more to do have to do more do with have to do with more than just feeling good for a little while. It's about helping us find the right way to live our lives, to come to terms with samsara, to come to terms with the world. And so the first thing that we we talk about is the the facts of life. The reasons why we can't just go through our lives doing whatever we want and enjoying sensual pleasure or ambition or whatever. You know, when we talk about the facts of life when when norm, when non-Buddhists or non-meditators talk about the facts of life, I think they often talk about things like money and jobs and relationships. The things that are important, right? And so we get caught up in ambitions, we get caught up in narratives and stories about who, we're, who we are and who we're going to be. 
and we lose sight of what's actually going on behind the scenes while we're busy doing other things, busy making other plans, busy with our lives. You know, what's happening with life, the, the main thing that's happening is we're getting older. It's, it's, the, it's the function of life, really. What is life all about? You know, when we say, what is the purpose of life? It's sort of the wrong question. Life doesn't have a purpose, but what does it mean to live? To live is to age, to, to change, to grow, right? The first shock comes when we're kids. We, well, I mean, the first shock is when you have to leave the womb and you're like, what the hell? It was warm in there, it was comfortable. And you have to freak out because you've grown too big for that. But then, once you get to your teen years or so on, while you grow again and all the changes of puberty, but more importantly, you, you realize that there are some facts of life that you, you didn't have to deal with, and so you have to get a job and you have to, you know, you realize that we have to we have to deal with more than just playing with our toys and our friends and even just going to school. We have to grow up. But it doesn't stop. Aging is, is the function of life. We're, we're not static. We can't find stability. Anything we build up is a little more than a sandcastle. It just gets knocked down again. We build up stability in our lives, and we get we we lose it. We get old. So you have to start thinking of meditation as something bigger than just this days that you're here. It's about changing the way we look at life and familiarize, familiarizing ourselves with with the reality of change. I mean, we're going to get old. We're going to lose our faculties. The big thing with, with all of these reflections is how we deal with life. Are we, are we going to be able to deal with getting old, losing our physical radiance and beauty? graying of hair, the yellowing of teeth, wrinkles, and the aches and pains of old age, loss of memory, loss of sight, loss of hearing. Well, there's everything that, uh, well, that's another one, but aging takes away a lot of the things we cling to. And I think more importantly, it's just the reality of life. Life is, is this. It's a process of going, getting old. It's a process of growing. It's not static. I think mindfulness really helps us to... And it should be clear that mindfulness helps us to be more at ease with change, with difficulty, 
with reality, to be less attached to ourself, even our physical body, the mind as well. Remember that we're getting old, it's a scary thing. It can be quite scary if you're not prepared for it. If you are clinging to being young, to being fit and beautiful and smart and clever and athletic and whatever. If you're clinging to it, you're going to get left in the lurch when it starts to change, when you get old. So that's one. I mean, it, these are all, these first three are related. The next one is that we're going to get sick. We have a nature to get sick. Vyadi dhammum hi anatito. We can't escape sickness. So we, I think it's hard to go through life, hard to find someone who hasn't been sick with a cold or a flu or even maybe worse, but sickness goes deeper than that, of course. There's a sickness coming that's going to kill us, even if it's just the sickness of old age. Most of us will die from something else, cancer or heart disease, diabetes. Lots of ways to die, lots of sicknesses. Imagine having to live through cancer. It's not unlikely that one of the, some of the people listening to this who feel very healthy are suddenly going to find that they have been diagnosed with cancer and have to live through that. Heart disease, diabetes, many different sicknesses might come. Again, it's about preparing ourselves for the reality of life. Life is not, sickness is not actually a problem. Sickness is not scary, but it scares the heck out of us the reality of life, that all of our plans and ambitions <clears throat> all of our possessions, all of the things we all of our wealth and power can't stop us from suffering and reminding ourselves, I am of a nature to get sick. I can't escape sickness. It's a good reminder of the potential for us to find ourselves in a situation where mindfulness and, and clarity is going to be very important because our relatives can't save us and our wealth sure can't save us. Sickness can be a terrible thing if you've ever been very sick. The pain that the body is capable of is quite impressive. So when we talk about pain and when we are concerned with pain in meditation, you have to remember 
the benefits of learning about pain and coming to deal with pain, coming to terms with it, how useful and beneficial it is for old age, sickness. And of course the third one, death. Marana dhammum hi maranang anatito. We are going to get old, or you're going to die. Death, death, I think, is one of the scariest things. How scary it is to think about death. I could die tomorrow, any one of us. We all will die. We don't know where, we don't know when, we don't know how. We don't know what's going to happen to our body, we don't know where our mind's going to go. Death is the scariest one if you, if you really get into it, because... It involves life, it involves birth. Death is the leading cause of birth. Just as birth is the leading cause of death. Well, it's the cause, it, they, they lead to one another. And if you're not prepared for death, if you don't have a good death, it's like, a, it's like an exam, if you fail the exam, if you haven't prepared for it, you're not ready for the final test, your mind will be in a very bad state when you die. You'll be afraid, you'll be clinging, you might be angry or sad. Or... They say your whole, your whole life flashes before for your eyes when you die, or there's a potential. I don't think it's true that your whole life, but many things flash before your eyes. You know, and they say you're near, I've never had it happen, but they say that when you're, when you realize you might, you're, you're, you're gonna die, when you're in danger, they say your whole life flashes before your eyes. Why that happens, I don't know. I assume it's, I, I can guess, it has something to do with the clarity at that moment, because there's such a strength of mind the adrenaline and the, the, the faculties are so sharp that everything opens up and all the powerful emotional mental states are brought to the front. Why? Because when you're practicing meditation you should feel the same. You should, you should realize that, the, that this is how the mind, um, this is the, the nature of the mind, it is that it keeps all these, these states. And when your mind is still, when your mind is clear, it brings them up. You, you see them again. Every day you should be seeing things you thought you'd forgotten about, things you thought you'd dealt with. And they come up and give you a challenge. They give you an opportunity to address them, to come to terms with them, to make peace with them which if you if you think about it the philo the philosophy of it is is quite beneficial because whatever i can deal with now and and whatever capacity to deal with these things i can cultivate now will prepare me that much better for uh, when i when i don't have a choice when i have to face them 
when they're all I have because my body is failing and I'm left only with my memories. Thinking about death, I think, is of the three the most powerful. When you think about it, you might die tomorrow, you, can, you will die and you don't know when it's going to happen. And realizing how incomplete our journey is, I mean, just in terms of our capacity to deal with the facts of life, to deal with old age and sickness and suffering and challenges and change, how unequipped we are, gives you a good impetus, good push in the a good push towards practicing mindfulness and goodness in general, just being a good person. You know the, that old book, The Christmas Carol, where this guy sees these ghosts and realizes how rotten he is and how doomed he is to misery because of his evil deeds his evil stinginess it changes him so there's a greatness in meditation there's a greatness in its um, its capacity to address these very fundamental facts of life old age sickness and death the fourth reflection that we should make every day is um, Pali, it's sabehi me piehi manapehi nanabhavo vinabhavo. Everything I hold dear will leave me, will disappear. all of our possessions. This one is addressing the, the fact of life relating to our possessions. Uh, this aspect of human existence or of existence that is possessiveness or possession. The people and things that we think of as ours our belongings, our relatives, our loved ones, friends and lovers and so on. All the things that we think are, are, are ours and that you hear about people losing, right? Losing possessions. If you've ever had something stolen from you, you know what a violation it feels like. How awful. When you lose a friend or a relative, someone dies, or you lose a, a, a romantic interest, they lose interest or are unfaithful. How much suffering in the world, if you could measure how much suffering there is, if we had some kind of an instrument that allowed us to measure 
all the suffering that comes from people losing things. How much suffering that comes from divorce. Have you ever lived through a divorce? My parents got divorced and it was terrible. The amount of suffering for everybody. It's kind of funny when you think about it because why couldn't we, you know, why weren't we prepared to deal with that? Why did we go through that? This, of course, relates to craving. It relates to attachment to things. Why are we not able to deal with it? Because we're addicted to the things that bring us pleasure. People bring us pleasure when we lose them. My cousin died and it was just horrible for his parents. Just took something from them. Something very precious. They weren't ready to deal with that. I mean, that's it's not surprising. As we are, we love each other. We, we talk about loving each other, but it's two parts. Love, on the one hand, is a capacity to wish well for others. Um, but love, on the other hand, what we call love is attachment. It's the need for certain things from that person, even for them to be happy, right? When someone's unhappy and then we feel depressed and unhappy because they are, oh, my friend, my relative is suffering, and you feel bad because you feel like they're yours. Much different from when you feel strangers suffering, maybe. So much suffering comes from there was a there was someone in the Buddha's time who was I can't remember I think it was just a some householder who was saying uh, what was it piyate jayat piyat piya jayate sukho that which is dear that those things which are that which is dear brings happiness. From I don't know the Pali. From from that which is dear comes happiness, sukho. And the Buddha said, "Piya, piya." Yeah, I don't remember. From happiness, from from that which is dear comes soko, soko, sukho, soko. He said, "Soko means sadness, the opposite of sukha." Yeah, when you hold something dear, think of how much happiness it brings us. I think you get much more happiness. I think we can make a claim. Much more happiness comes from letting go. Comes from an open appreciation of of the universe as a whole, of what's real, right? Rather than liking the things and wanting the things that you think of as mine or you think of as uh, what I'm partial to. No? To have a capacity to be at peace with what you have. To have a bunch more open and healthy and, and 
equanimous relationship with things. Right? Between the two, a person who needs certain things to be happy and can't be happy in a great many such circumstances, and a person who's happy no matter what happens. If someone dies, or they lose someone or something, if they're rich or poor, healthy, unhealthy, there's a greatness in our capacity to be open to change and loss. So reminding ourselves of why that is, the fact that we're going to lose everything, that everything we hold dear we're going to lose, it's going to leave us. It's a great thing to reflect on. It these sort of things will test you, because when you remind yourself of them, you realize that you're not ready for that. You're not ready for old age, sickness, death, loss. The fifth reflection is a longer one. Kamasakumi. I am the owner of my kamma, my deeds. Kamadayado. I am the heir to my deeds. Heir means I, I receive their inheritance. Kamayoni. I am born of my deeds. Kamabandhu. I am bound to my deeds. Kamapatisarano. I am dependent on my deeds. Yang kamang karisami. Kalyanangwa papakangwa. Whatever deeds I perform, beautiful or evil. Kalyanang just means good. It's, it literally means beautiful. It's nice to say, but it just means good deeds. Beautiful deeds are known as. Good deeds are known as beautiful deeds. Kalyanangma papakangma tasadaya do bhavisami. I will become an heir to those deeds. This one I think is straight to the point. It's it's different from the others in that it relates to not just experience and our reaction to them, but. Um, well, our actual reactions, it deals with the, the things we do to try and avoid old age, sickness, death, loss, etc. To hold on to our youth, our health, our life, our pleasures, happinesses. All the things we do, we become heir to them. If you leave here today, you get to take everything with you. All the things we've done, good and bad. I had someone uh, recently come to me quite upset and saying they had to confess they, that when they were young they, they did a lot of bad things torturing animals, that kind of thing. And we talked about, I said, they were, they were worried that they were, you know, hopeless, never going to be able to progress in the Buddha's teaching and meditation and so on, because those are bad deeds. Then what's going to happen? I said, well, you might be, you might be reborn ugly, 
or, or sickly. And they, they laughed, and, oh, I can handle that. It's a good reflection because we have to come to terms with this as well. Meditation isn't going to smooth out everything. It's not going to make it so that you never get sick. Goodness is not going to erase everything we've, we've done. It's important because a part of the way we approach the practice sort of and a fairly bare-bones, streamlined approach. Uh, it's much more about learning to be at peace with suffering than to try and avoid or escape suffering. Because it's very different from happiness, the happiness of avoiding suffering is very different from From the from true state of peace and, and freedom. When you come here to meditate, you you're faced with who you are. You're faced with your mental qualities, you're also faced with your memories, the things you've done. And you start to feel, you start to see as you practice mindfulness, you start to see how every moment has the capacity to be life-changing you know, in a very small way, that capacity to change who I am how I relate to people, how I interact with people. You start to see how all the things you've done through your life have changed who you are. And so some of them have just immediate consequences. It upsets you or it affects your personality. If you're cruel, then you become more angry and that sort of thing. Some of them are the sorts of things that you have to remember now, years later, when you've done them and you feel bad about them and, and feel sad because of the things you've done. And some of them are going to make you feel ugly in your next life. And of course, the opposite is true. This is not all doom and gloom. This is one, this is one of the five that we can actually look at the good side. and especially in terms of meditation, because there are many good things we can do. We can be charitable, we can be ethical, and be kind to others, loving, compassionate. But mindfulness, mindfulness we hold above all of those. All of those things are good, important even, but the best, the best kusala, the best wholesomeness, is the practice of mindfulness, the practice of seeing things as they are, without judgment, without partiality, 
without stress or suffering. And so the great wholesomeness that you're cultivating even here, just walking and sitting in your rooms, the, the idea is there's a great cleansing quality to it. So much, you see, you should see so much rubbish in the mind. Not just garbage, but some bad habits. It's like we're, it's not only that we're unclean, it's that we're committed to dirtying, sullying ourselves further. It's like a child, you, you, you give, the, give it a bath and then it jumps into the mud hole again. Okay, I'll clean up, clean up your, your, your children. As soon as they've done in the bath, they go jump in the mud again. Realize that we're not only not only we don't not only do we have bad tendencies, but we're inclined to do things that reinforce them. Anyway, so you so you come to address this, you come to uh, recognize this, and start to deal with it. Being mindful is changing your habits. It's about changing who we are, changing what we do. And the point is that this is the one thing that we take with us. We don't get to take our possessions. We don't get to take our relatives. We don't even get to take our lives, our body, our ourselves, really, even our minds, if you want to go there. We don't get to take all of our memories and thoughts and mental capacities. But what we do take is our habits and our, our personalities as they evolve, right? We don't get to be who we were when we were five years old. We've evolved from there, we've moved on from there. And our, our deeds, deeds in Buddhism is not physical, it's a, you know, your mental inclination, volition, when you decide to do something, when you reinforce a certain habit. That's the real deeds. When you do that, as we do that in life, that builds who we are, that builds our character for good or for evil. And that's what we take with us. We own them. We can't pass them off on someone else. We are their heir. We inherit the results. If you do, if you harm others, hurt others, or mean to them, bad things are going to come your way. And they won't like you. You won't like yourself, probably. And be afraid of retribution, etc., etc. Bad things, right? On the other hand, you help people if you're kind and generous and charitable, even if you're just ethical the appreciation and the comfort that people have with you, how, how trustworthy, how trusting people will become of you, and so on. All the good that comes, how, how good you feel about yourself for doing something so pure, good. All of that changes you, makes you physically healthy because you're not stressed or worried or guilty feeling. 
makes you mentally healthy. You can be at peace with yourself knowing that you're a good person or that you've done good. And when you sit here in meditation, you should see both. If you haven't done a lot of good deeds, well, coming to terms, remember, it's not that you've done good or bad deeds, it's coming to terms with them. Just be prepared for suffering, that's all. Maybe you'll be ugly or, or sick or whatever. Realizing that this is this is who we are. We are not who, what we own, we are not our friends, we are not who we associate with. Who we are is our minds, our state of mind, our habits, our personalities. And which ultimately comes down to our karma, our deeds, the things we do, the decisions we make. And that's important. It's probably the scariest. Because every moment we have the potential to be good, cultivate good things, or reinforce the negative ones. So, five reflections. Hopefully there's something there that gives you some encouragement and says, yeah, this is an important thing to do. It's more than just an idle interest. You do once and then forget about. It's about it's about waking up to the facts of life and finding a way to relate to the truth. So these five reflections sort of provide that framework of what are the important facts of life in Buddhism, things to reflect on, to remind you of what's important and what we should do about, do about it. So that's the Dhamma for tonight. Thank you for listening.